Everybody, it's Mike Jeffers, Chicago Jazz Magazine, ChicagoJazz.com, and welcome to another episode of Around Town. We have two guests today, which is very exciting, and there is a, it's an even more exciting project. So we have Jim Galleretto and we have Paul Marinaro. Of course, Jim Galleretto is uh, one of the principals in the Metropolitan Jazz Octet, and they have an incredible new project out called the Bowie Project featuring Paul Marinaro on vocals. And they have a release show coming up February 10th at Studio 5, 7.30 p.m., studio5.dance for tickets. We'll get into all of that. But guys, I never thought I'd have both of you on to talk about David Bowie. So it's a first. Congratulations. But this is an incredible project. So, Jim, why don't we talk about how this whole project sort of got started? Because since it's a Metropolitan Jazz Octet project with Paul, I'm sure you have some insight and also we'll get way into the arranging and stuff too, because taking a quick listen through it, I mean, hearing the David Bowie tunes done this way is just, it's something, something very special. So how did this whole project come about? Well, you know, it, it sort of was a, you know, the, the previous project was with D Alexander on our Billy holiday tribute record. Uh, um, it's too hot for words. And that was such a great experience. Uh, just working with D, working with her artistry, and I knew that we wanted to do more projects, and uh, we were trying to figure out, you know, what's next, what what we want to do, and uh, I actually had a conversation with uh, uh, one of my associates, John Cornegie, who's uh, uh, one of the lead arrangers in the group, and we were sort of like kind of figuring out what we want to do, and I said, you know what, I I haven't heard Paul sing live. So we went out to Hey Nani, actually, and heard him with his quartet, and were blown away. And that was, it kind of set the path on on this project. We didn't know it was going to be Bowie or when that was, you know, that took shape gradually over time. But uh, after we heard Paul and just the way he sang and his artistry, we knew we wanted to work with him. So that was the first thing that happened. Wasn't that something similar to how you actually connected with D too? Because... <laughs> Which it, sh right. it shocked me when you and I talked about that with D that you had never really worked with her before, and and right. uh, or played or however it was, and now the same thing with Paul, where you're 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 probably because you're so consumed because you're working constantly and just like all the musicians, but it, it's interesting how this <laughs> keeps happening. <laughs> yeah, well, in, in in a way, it's the 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 commonality is going to hear each of those people sing live. I actually saw yeah. heard D. Um, at one of the Toys for Tots events at the Green Mill. Yep. And I was actually, we weren't on the stage together because we were alternating slots in that uh, in that show. But I got to hear her live. And that kind of like, as with Paul, just being around that in person, it's one thing to hear somebody on a recording and kind of get what they do and hear the, the magic there. But it's an entirely different impact when you hear something live. And that inspired me for Dean. That's kind of what happened with hearing Paul live. You know, I find it interesting before we start talking and I bring Paul in, why don't we talk just a little background on Metropolitan Jazz Octet because it's been the the concept and the the group has been around since the 50s. And I can remember you and I talking when you first put the first recording out, I think. So talk just a little background on it. So originally the Metropolitan Jazz Octet, MJO, started not with me but it started with one of my mentors and, and college professors tom hilliard this was his group i believe he started it in the early 1950s and it was comprised of it, it was 
similar to what's happening now. It was comprised of professional uh, musicians that who were making their living in music uh, uh, in companionship with arrangers and orchestrators of, of his day. So in 1959, Tom had this group, I think he had it for like 20 years or more. And he would do, he, he, he did a lot of work in Chicago. They recorded, the one album they recorded was on the Argo label. And they recorded that in Chicago in 1959. And it was, it's entitled The Legend of Bix. So it's a tribute record to Bix Leiterbeck. And um, that record, you can still find it. I think Paul actually found a copy online recently. And uh, it's, it's only an LP. And uh, but it's actually quite beautiful, even, you know, even how it was recorded. Uh, it's, it's something that to, to get into later on. But it, I think it's in mono, if I'm not mistaken. And it just sounds beautiful. So, Tom, <clears throat> in, you know, to kind of move the, the genesis along, uh, I had been friends with Tom a, after college and towards the end of his life. Uh, we started, be, you know, kind of rekindled the friendship. I would meet him and we would go. I would go to his house, we'd have lunch together, we would listen to music. Tom was a poet, he was kind of an artist as well. So uh, we would just chat and kind of, you know, just listen to, to things and enjoy each other's company. And then one day he, he said, hey, Jim, I got, I want, I got something for you. He, uh, I went to his closet, he opened his closet doors and inside there were two suitcases full of music. And it was his library, Tom's library that he had worked on for like 25 30 years it was 150 songs charts uh ranging from pretty stock approaches to music all the bix uh uh led the legend of bix music uh that he had and then some really rather unusual things and uh in 2014 uh, he gave that to me and i kind of sat on it for way too long and in 2014 I decided to put together a group just to read this music. So we, we did that for quite a long time and just kind of got acquainted to the, to the history of what, what it was. And that, you know, that, that's what launched uh, our all three albums working with Dee and then subsequently working with Paul. So that, that kind of got things going. So let, let's talk about the origin of the Bowie project and <clears throat> how, uh, why Bowie? <laughs> that's a, that's the question. Now I was at Paul, I was at your uh, release party over at uh, Studebaker incredible. And I did do one of the Bowie tracks there and it was just kind of haunting actually. And I had never heard that, that track by David Bowie. So Paul, what, what kind of brought you into the David Bowie music? And then how did the uh, collaboration happen between the Metropolitan Jazz Octet and, and you? Well, you know, I, I always uh, was peripherally a David Bowie fan. I think you have to uh, at least acknowledge his existence because it was it was so large looming. Um, but to say that I ever really delved into the specifics of his artistry, I didn't until the end, until Black Star came out. Uh, when that album came out, it was right. Uh, it was his 69th birthday. Two days later, he died. So just buzz around Black Star and you know, kind of his, his, his masterpiece. And then he died. Uh, so I really, at that point in my life, I really delved into that album um, quite deeply and it just kind of stuck with me. Um, and then started realizing I haven't paid enough attention to him because, you know, there's that belief that it just falls outside of my specific genre. And I hadn't been paying attention uh, as a musician to things that 
typically I would not approach as, as an artist myself. Uh, but I really went back and figured out who he was, uh, or as best as you could. Um, and I found a song at that time uh, from his Heathen album, 515. And immediately I sent it to Mike Alamana and I said, this song speaks to me. You might think I'm crazy, but I want I want to do this song. I want to perform it. It was the political turmoil that the country was going through, personal turmoil. Uh, and, uh, you know, the wonderful thing about much of Bowie is you can't quite put your finger on exactly what he's trying to say, yet the message resonates. There's a message that usually resonates. And I found that with a lot of his lyrics, specifically that song. Um, so I had started this kind of uh, deep dive into Bowie and found more and more things that I thought, huh, we had done 515. We did it live at Winters. And I had, uh, at that point, it was Rose Colella and uh, Alyssa Allgood singing backup. Mm -hmm. And, you know, realized how powerful it was and the fact that it did work um, and it excited me uh, you know kind of stepping outside of, of, of what I had typically been doing uh, and in the back of my mind I thought would it be weird if I started doing more of the Bowie material but didn't want to start putting Bowie sets together I wasn't ready for that right Around the same time Jim and uh, I think it was Jim and John Cornegay a few of the guys from MJO came to see me at, at Hey Nani and I was kind of uh, just in a place. I had been sick the year before. I was in a, it was 2019. It was this great comeback year for me. And I just was really looking for something different. Uh, so when those guys approached me to do a project, I immediately thought, oh, that would be amazing. I was a big fan of the of, uh, of the group, of, of the album they had just done with D. Yeah. But immediately I thought, as I get often, I wondered if, they probably want me to do a Sinatra thing because they had just done Billie Holiday. It would have seemed logical. And I really didn't, I really didn't want to do that um, for many reasons. Uh, but Jim immediately said, Oh no, no, no. We kind of want to think a little bit outside of the box on this one. Uh, so we went back and forth. We had different ideas with, with composers. We threw back and forth, whether it would be one composer or different and, uh, I don't know how long we did that. Maybe you remember, Jim, but it was it was a little while, maybe a couple of weeks or so. And uh, I I remember Jim saying, "What's give me even if you don't think it might be something that would work, give me the craziest idea in your head." And I just said David Bowie, <laughs> and we thought about it. And I said, uh, you know, let's get a list together. What you know, what what's the harm in that? And uh, I think we both were a little. We went into it with a little bit of trepidation. Um, I think we all agreed, which was wonderful for me, that if it wasn't working, we could pull the plug and and rethink this. Um, yeah. But, uh, and I think we all agreed too, that we didn't want to force the music to be something it wasn't supposed to be. We didn't want to force it into being, hey, this is jazz or, or make anything swing that shouldn't. Um, so we were pretty quickly uh, almost immediately all basically on the same page about what we wanted it to be um and that that was helpful for me because it's you know it's it's a bit daunting to take on an artist such as david bowie there's it's the persona is huge the artistry is huge um his chameleon like uh reconfigurations of of what he was 
you could uh if you if you're not careful you could really set yourself up for uh embarrassing yourself if it's not done properly and i obviously didn't want to do that and and neither did the guys um but we found we found enough songs uh that really would we thought would work you know the the repertoire obviously that david bowie has is massive but then Mm -hmm. for you guys to have to go back through and figure out what would work with this you know this 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 whole setting i mean it's just like who would even think about this right and I'm sure Jim probably put the phone down when you said David Bowie <laughs> said, no, I was, I don't want to go that far out of the box here. Just like, hang on a second. But, you know, you know, it's interesting because I don't think anybody has ever done anything with David Bowie music in the past. Not, I mean, not even like this, but just you know, mixing it into another genre as far as jazz and doing an entire thing, you know, right. doing an entire album of it. So Jim, when you started listening to it, because I listening to the recording, Unless I go back and compare and contrast, I can't tell you what's what's what. I mean, but it all seems to work really well within the context of the ensemble and how it's arranged. And was the arrangement part one of the keys to this entire entire project? It's definitely one of the one of one of the one of the aspects of of how to present this music. Um, and and thinking about, we I remember having a discussion with Paul, like you know, what do we want to do? Uh, first and foremost, it has to fit what Paul wants to, wants to say, you know, it has to fit his voice. It has to fit, uh, you know, how he sings. And definitely we were all reinventing what we did, you know, as artists for this project to make it work. But that was the first order of like context, like figuring out what works for Paul. Um, And then secondly, um, uh, which David Bowie uh, tracks resonate and what Paul alluded to about, the time in which we were doing this, the turmoil, though that played a large part in, into picking out which songs meant something to us in terms of like, you know, what's going on in, 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 in our, in, in the, in the current state of the world. The other thing is um, uh, when, when we were picking Bowie songs, the things that attracted me to a particular song is how we could adapt them. Certain songs, just wouldn't be, just wouldn't work as an adaptation because they were too steeped in rock, too steeped in certain elements that wouldn't translate into um, a particular, uh, into a genre that we were going to embrace. Um, so a lot of that had to do with chord structure. Sometimes Bowie would do things harmonically that were just like so exotic and beautiful that I wanted to grab onto it and see what we could do with it. Uh, so th- those were th- those aspects were important to me because um, I, you know, I could sort of project like what an arrangement would would sound like taking this song. And uh, admittedly, when we were choosing the initial five songs, we were we were shy about, you know, picking what really well-known Bowie songs. But eventually, as we sort of gained confidence in the arranging and how things were sounding, we became more you know, comfortable with choosing some of the hits like Changes, Space Oddity, Let's Dance, some of the things that were really well known in Bowie's, uh, uh, his uh, discography and, and his uh, songbook. But, um, but yeah, moving it over to a group like Metropolitan Jazz Octet was, was a careful process. Because as Paul said, you know, some of these things would sound ridiculous if it would, if you had like a like a swing thing happening behind mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Um, so we were very careful and very you know aware that you know 
you're 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 skating an edge between what works, what doesn't work. Uh, you know, and for me, when I'm arranging and considering music, uh, you know, outside of the immediate what what's good for Paul, what's good for the band, I put myself in in position of the listener, the audience. Like, you know, what are they going to get from this? You know, are they going to hear it? So you never know how people are going to react. You know, there are a lot of people who who are purists who won't who will reject things just because they're not pure. Right. But then there's the open minded listener who will uh, will kind of like you were saying, you take it, you listen to a track and you're kind of going, I get, yeah, this is a Bowie song, but it's not the first thing that hits you that this is a Bowie song. First thing that hits you is like this is music and here I hear this melody, I hear the arrangement, I hear the sound of the band. What's cool about this record is there's, there's, there's plenty of improvisation too uh, for each track. There's somebody's taking a solo and there, there's ensemble things, there's solely things, things that you would expect from a, 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 an orchestration or an arrangement that incorporates jazz. Did you have to um, talk to the octet did you have to talk to the band and say okay this is the this this is what we're planning on doing and um did they immediately look at you like what <laughs> or were they all all in because i i know some of the guys in the band and they're yeah. killing players but you know i mean i can i can see some of them raising a little eyebrow and saying are you sure this is what we should be doing with this group well i gotta say they were all down for it you know i think coming off of the d thing and having that great experience um, they were, they're, they're all, everybody in the band is a very open, open-minded, yeah. uh, performers and musicians, but they were very curious. I would, I will say they were curious what it was going to be like. And, uh, but once we got our first track recorded, I think it was slow burn was the first yeah. thing we actually recorded. Uh, they were, they were all in, they were all in. Yeah. Paul, what was it like, um, Everybody's heard you sing. Well, I don't know if everybody has, but a lot of people watching this has heard have heard you sing, and you know, um, you have a certain style and stuff. But <clears throat> did you have to change your style a little bit, or kind of reconceptualize what you were doing when you're singing these Bowie tunes? Because it's just a, not that you couldn't do it, and it sounds great, but it's yeah, no, different. You know, like a mind shift. It was more of, rather than technique or anything like that, a change in technique, it was more a mindset. Yeah. Um, and as I said, it was it was daunting at first. Um, having felt that what we did uh, as a standalone for 515, having had just done that, I knew that I, I there was an in. I didn't know whether it would work across the board, but I knew that I can do a David Bowie song and I felt good about it. So that was, uh, that was good timing. Picking the songs, like, like you said earlier, it was, it's a massive catalog and every period is different. Uh, picking that was challenging, but not for me, it wasn't as challenging as one might think because I connected to songs, to these songs, the same way I connect to any other song, whether it's Cole Porter or Harold Ireland or, or, or Duke Ellington. It's the story. Yeah. If I can't somehow put myself into the story or, or wrap my, my head around what, it, what the story is about uh, and how to interpret that, I don't know what to do with it. You know, I love Ziggy, uh, you know, there it is, Ziggy Stardust. I'm not going to sing Ziggy Stardust. 
that that wouldn't work. There, there's just great Bowie material that it's just an instant. No, I'm not going to touch that. Yeah. Uh, so it really was about the lyric for me and and feeling like where I can put myself and how I like to interpret songs into it. Uh, but as far as changing, I don't felt I don't feel it was a stretch. I feel that uh, it caused some growth. But to say that I had to reconfigure um, all of my approach, I didn't. But that also speaks to the talent of the arrangers and the talent of the group because they wrote with that in mind. Uh, and it was very clear from the first two songs that it, it kind of it, it kind of showed us that, oh, this is going to work. Yeah. Uh, and what I love about what the album became, and this is not something we thought about from the start is it's not just a collection of david bowie songs if you didn't know that the songs were all written by bowie it plays as an album it plays as a concept album there are a lot of uh themes that we just found reoccurring um i don't think there's anything on the album that doesn't quite fit as as a different concept they're all bowie songs but they're also there there's a cohesive album there as well and i i love that i, I love that we found that so let, let's talk about this. I should tell everybody it's on Origin Records, so origin.com, and that's where you can pick it up. And it is live now, right? So it's 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 out there now, but your your release, your new release show is February 10th at Studio 5, at Studio 5, 1938 Dempster, right there in Evanston, beautiful spot, studio5.dance, 7.30 p.m. On, on February 10th. So let's talk a little bit about the audience, because the jazz audience in Chicago knows Jim, knows Paul, knows me. And so if they're coming out and they're going to come to this and let's say, you know, maybe they've never heard David Bowie or, you know, their kids might have listened to David Bowie at a certain point and they told him to turn it down and get out of the house or something. So let's let's just kind of tell everybody, um, you know, why would they want to come out? I think, Paul, you sort of answered that is that you're coming out not for the David Bowie aspect, but to hear the arrangements and all that, but listen to the lyric, listen to the stories behind these tunes. Absolutely. You to say? Absolutely. I think um, I can't imagine that anyone who's, uh, you know, open-minded to hearing material, if they're not familiar with David Bowie, I can't imagine that they would hear anything that would be so shocking to them or so foreign. Um, I believe there's an in, uh, they're just stories. Uh, they're we're telling stories. Uh, they're beautiful arrangements. They're they're beautiful playing, uh, and I think those who do know David Bowie and and maybe David Bowie is sacred to them. I think if they're open, they're going to appreciate that we are honoring this music. We're not bastardizing it. We're not trying to uh, pull it away from him. We're celebrating that he was a damn good songwriter. And check this out. Uh, yeah. We're in no way trying to imitate um there's not a there's not a hint of imitation on any of it and that was important for all of us so i yeah. think i think if they're open-minded it can reach both audiences you know um jim so since this is the metropolitan jazz octet how did you approach origin to pick this up because <laughs> you know i i know they're you know they're they're a jazz record label and um, fairly traditional, but they do put out a lot of different things. But, you know, I mean, it seems like to me, just so everybody knows, I mean, to me, listening to this recording down and, you know, the whole concept behind it, I think it's only going to open up the jazz audience 
to open up them to the David Bowie music, but also open up people that might not listen to jazz or anything on a regular basis, casual music fans, and open them up to the David Bowie music because it's the story, it's the lyric, and it's the overall orchestration that happens on this recording. I think it's fantastic. I think you're bringing a lot of different audiences, but to put it out on Origin, was there a discussion you had to have with, have with them and kind of work through it? Well, you know, it's funny, the whole landscape of putting out music and labels and, and streaming, and it's, it's changing as we speak, you know, it's, it's hard to, to really pin down um, how that, is, how that is at any one point in time. <clears throat> uh, so it was, you know, thing had, things had changed drastically since we worked with D on that previous uh, record, which is on Delmark. And um that was an interesting uh, and a, a really good partnership with Delmark. Yeah. Um, we we weren't uh, we weren't against go, being on Delmark, but we just you know I actually have a relationship. Uh, I've got a, a record on uh, on Origin uh, already, and uh, they have a couple different uh, divisions of their label. They have I guess Origin Records. They have Origin Classical, and I think there's an uh, AO2 Records, which I'm not sure of that distinction, but. Uh, I've I've already been familiar with their the, the company and and their you know and the kind of music they have on there and um, I reached out to to John Bishop who's who's uh, in charge of the label and I said I've got this idea I've got this music can I send it to you and he goes yeah so I sent it he goes yeah this is great this is exactly what we want uh, the kind of level of of writing and performing we want and he's actually loved the fact that it was sort of in a, a, a departure, I don't want to say departure, but it it was unusual for the label. I think they were ready to do something that sort of like crossed some boundaries, was outside of the boxes. Uh, you know, the other thing I love about Origin is you look at any artist, any record on there, and it's really high-level music. It's very thoughtful, beautifully played, beautifully written music, and um, it seemed like a good home for us. And I like how they do business, too. They take care of business. They do a lot of uh, promotion for their artists. The website is spectacular. It looks great. And, you know, you know, you can always release something on your own and do all that work and do all that. You know, bottom line is I'm a musician. I'm a composer. I'm an arranger. I, the business of being, being a label is not something I want to take on. Um, I'd rather leave it to the experts. And, you know, I really appreciated um origin so that it, it it was a good fit yeah, yeah yeah well that's great all right so the bowie project the metropolitan jazz octet featuring paul marinaro friday february 10th studio 5 7 30 p.m is the release show 1938 dempster right there in evanston studio 5 dance and then of course i want to send everybody over to the metropolitan jazz octet.com for all the information on that group and that ensemble and all the past uh performances and all the past recordings and then of course paulmarinaro.com you've got this uh recent recording out not quite yet and now you have this one coming out and uh i think when we talked on the last one you might have like seven or eight more coming out before June. So. <laughs> we're gonna see we're gonna see but yeah these were these were recorded simultaneously so it was kind of you know wearing yeah. different two different creative hats it was it was a great problem to have yeah, well, congratulations to both of you guys, man. It is quite—it was quite an undertaking because I listening to it, I know the undertaking that it must have been. But the final product, you guys have to be completely excited about, and I'm sure everybody's going to totally 
enjoy hearing it recorded, but also go see it live because I'm curious to yeah. hear it live as well. That's going to be something yeah. special, especially in that space. So, and Jim, uh, Jim will be wearing the Ziggy Stardust costume. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, I yeah. lost the flip on that, so I, I'm going to be white too. <laughs> but you're coming. But you're going to start the show coming out of a space shot out of the yeah. space. Show, right? <laughs> a lot of smoke. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, the stage show, people should just come for the stage show, if nothing else. That's going to be yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks so much for being on. I really appreciate it as usual. And, uh, Thank you all for watching. As always, all the information is going to be on chicagojazz.com. It's also linked up below. And until next time, hopefully I will see you all somewhere out on the scene. 